idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Michelle Embry. Michelle Embry is a, a professional tarot card reader and teacher. Her tarot work is featured monthly on Anti-Gravity Magazine. She is a writer and a performer of spellcraft. She holds a bachelor's degree in sociology and philosophy and a master's of fine arts in writing. She's also the co-host of the Secret Antenna podcast. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm really happy to be here. Yay for Michelle. You know, Michelle, I haven't told you this, but you ended up going to a place that I wanted to go. It was I, I had marked it down to do, and it place. just it never came around, and that's good art. Oh, really? Oh, yes. how wonderful. Oh, it's the premiere, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I agree. No, I agree. <laughs> Uh, I had a wonderful experience at Goddard, um, which, you know, that's where I did my, um, that's where I got my, did my master's in writing. Yes. And I met, you know, who my program director was, there was a man named Paul Selig. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that story is wild. I didn't know who he was when I got there. So that's, yeah, that's. But it's no surprise because it's it's world famous and it's just right. such a highly esteemed, fantastic program in place. And yeah, I was I was yeah. not surprised when I heard that. I cannot recall where I heard you speaking of that, but it was uh, and I wasn't surprised, but it was just like, oh, wow, that was one of the things, you know, that I actually had kind of wanted to do at some point. And then my life took a different path but it you know right. still it's it's right up there with the california institute of integral studies for me Ooh, that sounds great Ooh, that gave me a chill when you said that i'm like ooh, let's go there <laughs> oh girl there's so much juicy there <laughs> mm, <that's> wonderful <laughs> so i hope everyone had a good sow and halloween jerry michelle did you have a I good did. halloween i did i carved a pumpkin i did nothing Oh, I was out. I saw your beautiful, scary pumpkin. <laughs> yes, I did. I carved a pumpkin and um, I spent the morning on the granny show as a sexy third eye. And um, then uh, I threw a Halloween party for the dogs. So oh. <laughs> yes. I got soys and um, um, Vienna sausages and it was a great great time all around <laughs> oh it sounds wonderful i love those grannies i hope they're out there in the chat at least at some point tonight the grannies are suzanne's there she's a granny well we're talking about robin and there's it's the granny show i, was, I haven't seen robin in a while she's she's around though mm -hmm. she's got her fabulous show so all right let's oh do, that oh, robin i don't know that robin so um eagle see. song right yeah yeah no and, i don't know her and maggie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. ladies tear it up mm -hmm. <laughs> they do tear it up <laughs> they're dirty grannies sometimes oh are they black-eyed grannies 
<laughs> dirty grannies. They're like sexually harassing grannies. Uh-huh. They're my kind of granny. That's my kind of granny too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm aspiring. Like that's that's gonna definitely be on on the agenda for me. I went to uh just to fill out this the salad thing, I went to my yearly uh corn maze with my squirrel friends and my gays and uh that was fabulous it was a different one than usual and there were literally hundreds of people there i was so shocked usually wow. it's not so crazy and uh it was good it was really good and then out and about and food and all this good stuff so it was it was actually one of my favorite salons in a long time despite all the stuff going on yeah did everyone Aww. have their masks on it's it always inner <laughs> it's inner it's mesh i'm kidding you know? i'm kidding well you know jerry i never know with you <laughs> if it's about masks i'm definitely kidding because i think that's a bunch of <laughs> bullshit but whatever <laughs> it's uh well they they were supposed to be mandatory but on the inside i saw some people not not wearing them and so it's just a matter of who's who i i guess it's not that big of a deal out here sometimes and sometimes it is so but on 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 the nox mente hayride that we're on now mm. let's get into this michelle my bell i love that song so much and that is my namesake that is where i come from i love it so it's always it's like one of those songs that you can't it's like an earwig you can't get it out of your head <laughs> all right so i want to go all the way back well all okay. the way back mm -hmm. and let's get a foundation going for what the world was like for you as a very young person and what was sticking out what was relevant that still you carry with you as far as memories oh yeah oh that's wonderful that you asked that because i kind of i kind of thought that i might tell this story this evening so see i'm already clued in here <laughs> um, one of the most important things that probably happened to me when i was a kid is that i had my appendix ruptured Ooh. and um i had been really sick i was this was let's see i was it was just before i turned eight i think and so i had been really sick uh for several weeks lots of pain that's an incredibly painful experience um to have a to have your um appendix in that state and swollen like that uh and it goes you fever it, it you can't walk straight it's incredibly painful and my mother was taking me to the doctor but they were sending us home there's a lot of misogyny and classism in this story that's happening so they keep kind of you know saying well she, you know it's the flu there's nothing we can do stop bringing her back like literally and my mother would push and she would keep taking me back and saying you know i really i think it's her appendix you should look well you know they don't like that and you know they're they're like well you know i think we would we would check that out if we thought that was real and so um anyway my appendix winds up rupturing and uh she drives me to the i think doctor's office who then you know they're kind of also like why didn't you just take her to the hospital like it's that kind of thing where you can't do anything right in this situation so i get to we get to the hospital and they can't find the appendix it's because it has exploded and it is up under something an intestine oh 
yeah, so they have me on the table. And at this point for, I mean, I don't think too many people in modern times really experience an exploded appendix, but I'll tell you this. And um, when, when uh, you go through weeks of really extraordinary pain in my, to my mind, and then it ruptures and it's euphoric, like you've never felt so good in your entire life. Like there's, you're floating on a cloud. It's incredible. Right. So um, that's Is this happy. before you die from it. This is before you die from it. Correct. <laughs> uh, that's right. So they've got me on the table and like, I'm euphoric when I get there and I'm literally like, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I'm like some like, like, like starlet from like the sixties on like volume. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's wonderful, you know? And, um, and still, and you would think, you know, this would be an indication. It certainly was to my mother. She's like, this is a ruptured appendix, you know, and the doctors are just not having it. And they poked and prodded on me really painfully. I had you know, really bruised me up and stuff for hours, literally hours. So at some point in time, and I think what had happened was I honestly think they decided, and again, they're snapping at my mother and they're saying like, you know, we don't actually do exploratory surgery on children. I mean, I'm overhearing all of this and, and, and me adding these parts into the story, it's, it's part of, it's an important part of the experience um, that I, that I, that I come through in this is, is overhearing, like I say, misogyny and classism in this situation. Yeah. And so, right. You know, it affects me, you know? So anyway, I think they finally did decide to take me into surgery, but I missed that beat a little bit. And I think they had actually, at this point, maybe I had been on the anesthesia. Um, so I consider myself to have had what I call an emotional NDE. So like, I don't know. I mean, but it's like you said, is that what happens before you die? Yeah. I mean, I think I was, I feel like I was close, but in looking around about this, you know, most literature will say, well, it takes longer than that to die from, from a ruptured appendix. So that's fine. But at any rate, what happens is I become aware that I'm dying and I am overwhelmed, oh. overwhelmed with this guilt. I mean, I never felt guilt. I mean, I was just a kid. I never felt guilt like that um, beforehand. And honestly, I've never felt it since. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever experience a level of guilt like that again. It was crushing. And one of the things I was so guilty, I was leaving my mother. I was leaving my body. I think in some ways, like I was also, this is another aspect that comes into this. I was raised, my mother claimed atheism, right? Um, she looked for auras and did all this other stuff. So she wasn't exactly an atheist, but she didn't want to raise me with religion. So she had said she was an atheist. So at the time I didn't have this um, language for having the feeling that I had let God down. But I think that's some, there was something about that. There was some kind of deal I felt I was breaking and I was leaving my mother anyway, crushing guilt. And I didn't see light. I definitely saw myself on the table. Um, but even at the time that I was looking at myself, like down on the table, I'm putting all of this in quotes because even at the time that it was happening, I was aware that I was, that that was my mind's eye. Like I wasn't over my own body. Really? I guess that's the way I registered it. Even at the time, which I'll interject here to this day is the key of understanding how real the mind's eye is. And I still use this place when I read tarot cards to see mm -hmm. things in my mind's eye. And that's the first time I became aware of it. So I'll put that in there. Um, so anyway, I did see that. I did see myself there. 
um, in my mind's eye. And then everything was gray. It was gray. It was like gray clouds. And I did feel myself going up and I had this guilt until all of a sudden, I wouldn't say it was a voice. It was more like a presence. And it just said, look, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. This is exactly how it's supposed to be. Your mother's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is perfect. And this is exactly what is to happen. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was entirely free. I was entirely free. And at that moment in time, like, I just, I understood really that death was fine. It's, it's hard to go through. But once you get there, this is what it's like. They say, you know, everything's perfect. Everything's completely perfect, no matter what you think. Um, so anyway, I had that experience. I was in the hospital for a long time when I came out of it. Uh, I, fortunately, I think I say this a lot of times, my mother was an atheist, so I didn't have anywhere to go with the fact that I wasn't right after this experience. I was like, yeah, not so much, ma, but I didn't have any, but I didn't have anybody to talk to you about that. Uh, at the same time that I, um, I am glad that she was raising me like that because I often make the jokes. I'm like, you know, if somebody had handed me a narrative for this at that age, I would be out probably passing out like chick tracks, like down, you know, downtown, you know, like Jesus yeah. loves you, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, Our roses you, selling the roses. <laughs> yeah, selling the roses. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, because I just don't think that being that young and having such an extraordinary experience in that way, um, I just don't think that. Um, I don't, I think if somebody had given me a narrative, I don't think you ever would have been able to break it. So I really appreciate that I was able to find my own way with that in, in my life. So I would say that that's probably the biggest thing that happened when I was a kid. This is major. And I keep having to tell, I t I've been talking to a lot of NDE people lately and I, I just released on my other show uh, with Ingrid Honkala. She had one as well early on at the age of three. Uh, and then with the uh, Jim Bouton and all these people, I want to, and last, last week too with Navier, uh, this is something to emphasize here. Near mm -hmm. death experience. This is not a death experience. This is where, because then you wouldn't be here to talk about it, but an exploded mm -hmm. appendix mm -hmm. <laughs> is. <laughs> qualifies and puts you in the ballpark girl and Definitely. uh and the fact that you were actually you had these really key factors to it with the presence that had a voice i'm hearing that with all of them uh mm -hmm. almost all of them not all of them but i'm hearing that a lot i've got to tell you and there are just a lot a lot of similarities and one of the things i'm not hearing about that you read a lot about are is like the light tunnel mm -hmm. I haven't actually encountered anyone yet with the light tunnel. So I'm starting to question that story. Oh, it, I'm not negating it. I'm not negating right. it. But people that I know and I'm talking to that are, have gone through these. And then mine, when I bled out, I didn't have a light tunnel either. Uh, mm. But I'll tell you what, getting new blood in feels good. Oh, my Whoa. God. The warm blood coming in is wow that's a euphoric experience too uh but so this is an nde to me and the fact that you had you're tying in your mystical site as well kind of 
finds I find space here for that. Mm-hmm. I find space here for that because you were tapped in at a very young age into something more than you at that time already, correct? True. Absolutely true. It really awakened you. Yes, definitely. And and that's exactly what this show is about. So around that time and even earlier, what was your experience with, say, the dream world? Um, when I was very young, um, I, I, had, I had nightmares, but that did stop later on. So it, maybe it stopped after that moment, perhaps. I was very young and I had, I had nightmares. Um, but then I don't almost never anymore now. But that is probably what I remember the most about being a kid. I wasn't afraid to go to sleep. But I knew that like there was a pretty good chance I was going to have some kind of dark um, nightmare. I'm glad I grew out of it. <laughs> but yeah. maybe that experience changed it. It's possible. Oh, I think it probably did. You were so young. You, it probably did in so many ways that it's hard to conceptualize sometimes when you go from before and after these events. Uh, so speak on fear. So when you're you're young, I want to get some of this foundational stuff out of the way too. Mm -hmm. So you were raised without a religion, which Mm -hmm. of course I think is a gift. Everyone who Mm -hmm. listens knows that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about your relationship with nature? That was incredibly strong. When I was very young, um, my first like four years of life, I think three and a half to four years of life, we lived fairly rural and um and you know they were my mom will kind of joke about you know her her kind of um you know they were you know she's like those were some country people you know i got knocked off that horse and i was unconscious and when i came home they were like well good thing you're here dinner's ready you know she's like that's that's like they didn't think about taking me to the hospital just because i'd been unconscious right those but that's my mom's story you know so um so but anyway being out there with these quote unquote like country people that that sort of style um, even though I was so young, I actually had a, just a lot of um, ability to explore. So that was really early on. I, I, you know, like I said, it's, I mean, there's like this story of me walking half a mile to the to the store at, at the bottom of the hill when I was like, I mean, three or something, right? So like, I had enough, like, I had <laughs> I had enough space from adults that like, I'm, and I remember this still because I got down there and I went down for a chocolate soda and they never did give me one. <laughs> <laughs> they called my mom to come get me. I was like, what the hell? I came all the way down. What the, what is this? What kind of joint is this? Anyway, um, that part I still remember. Um, but so I had, I had this kind of free reign with that. And then my, um, I still would spend a lot of time with my grandmother in that house for many years to come. So this, I had a very strong walking in the woods when I was a little bit older. I can remember, God, see, this is like, nobody would let their kids do this stuff anymore. No, but we, like, we come from another time, another place. <laughs> the feral parenting or whatever they call it for sure. But I can remember I had, um, I had a pair of ice skates and I'd walk, you know, I mean, at this point, I'm probably 10 or 12 or something. Um, but I would walk out uh, way out into the woods and there was some like shallow river that would freeze over out there. And, you know, just thinking back on that, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but because uh, I was by myself. Yes. Yeah. Did you at this pay at this early phase, this foundational stuff, too, you mentioned a little bit of fear. Did you have any of the classic fears of 
something under the bed or did you need a light on what what was what was kind of scary in your world oh well um i definitely um grew up at that point in time like you know i, I could have i could have done without my father being around at all you know that probably would have been um a much more uh, amenable childhood uh, but, you know, nonetheless, we, many of us grow up uh, with um, a, a either abusive parents or one abusive parent. And so I lived with that. That was, that was, um, shut you down. It was a very difficult um, situation to live with. So um, that scared me and shut me down and hurt me. That would be something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm hmm did how what kind of reverberations on that though were did it make you afraid to be alone in the dark did it mm. how did that play out with these like the subtle fears even just knowing he's abusive but knowing he's around that you could get in trouble at any time right i mean yeah no that's that's interesting um in terms of like my fear of the dark, because I don't like, that's a great question because I just really never had that. And I still don't. And it's fascinating to me. So like in terms of like fear of the dark, I, in a way, I almost think that experience um, gave, a, gave a strength to that. Like, I mean, I can, I'm the person, you know, if I hear a noise in the other room, you know, I get up and walk towards, I'm like, who's there, you know, in the dark, oh. I'm like, oh. Like, I'll scare you first. You know what I mean? Like what you're not expecting is me coming at you. So I'm coming at you, you know, right? It makes the most sense to me. It's like, it's logical to me in that way. So, and perhaps in a way, my upbringing in that, in those terms, it, it set me on this path where it's sort of like, it doesn't really matter if you feel afraid like it doesn't matter you have to like push forward and then i think also with what i'm saying about like you know what that person if somebody's coming at me in the dark and they're what they're expecting is for me to run and they're going to chase me but then like i'm i'm pushing back at them that kind of thinking that i think maybe came out of out of the circumstance of possibly too i think there's like the circumstance of like having this wonder if you're going to live through something and then when you have that experience i mean with a person you know where you're like i don't even know for sure if i'm gonna survive this i think that after that also at least for me i can't talk obviously everybody responds differently but for me i think i got this real like uh part of me that's like just fight just fight because if somebody's like if you're going down you're going down so yeah. go, you know so just fight back you know and i think maybe i got i got that in me a little bit you know and that's not a fearlessness that's more of a um it's this wild way of giving up in a way i think where you're just like fuck it you know like, <laughs> <laughs> you know like, i probably won't win but you know what what am i going to do like run scream cry i mean you know i guess i'll fight you you know so there's there's that so there's you know, it has its it has its elements where I think I've done a lot of things in my life um, that I wouldn't have tried or done if I hadn't also had this kind of menacing presence in my domestic situation when I was young. I would say that. I call that the rebel gene. I, I feel <laughs> the same way. I come at, if I know, if I'm backed into a corner, I know that there's no option to 
get out of something. So I, I don't necessarily go looking. <laughs> right, right. But, no, but right. if I know if there's going to be something going down, I'm not going down easily. And that's, that's a right. fact. That's a fact. It's like, that's right. a choice you make right there. That's when the, that's that stand up and I'm, I'm come mm-hmm. and get me, you know, mm-hmm. come at me. Wait, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> That's and my cat, cat woman. <laughs> it's the yes, yeah, snarling Earth, cat. Your, your Eartha Kit came out. Ooh, I do love Eartha Kit. Julie Newmar was my favorite cat woman, though. Oh, yeah. She Aww. was my favorite. But Eartha's my second favorite. <laughs> and, well, that's a perfect, that's, Jerry, that is so great. Perfect segue here, too. You're welcome. Because what was the pop culture stuff that inspired you very young on this kind of foundational stuff? Oh, um, that's interesting. I'm not, I don't know. Like, I mean, this is, I think you're asking me more about like music and television, but I know my mom had Ruth Montgomery books around. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I looked into those things. Um, Edgar Allan Poe, I think, you know, that was something that was fast. My mom (laughs) used to read Edgar Allan Poe to me, which is like wonderful. But, you know, I mean, like, I think some people might think that's a strange parenting style, but I loved it. She would read Annabelle Lee to me and I just loved that. God, I love that one. Yeah, I know. Um, And uh, and the Raven and these things. So I loved my mom reading Edgar Allan Poe to me. It was really cool. So that was probably a big part of it. She also read Cujo to me, which I think was a big part of it um, was scary Cujo was scary um but I loved I love survival stories though right like we're in the car there's you know the milk has gone sour like we're trapped the dog like I love these what are we gonna do and I mean I think all of that comes from the background you know that you set up here you know which is like it's these things in my you know this this illness the the domestic situation you know and so like I love these situations of like we gotta get out of this car you know or whatever um those those things were there, but the definitely Ruth Montgomery books laying around um, were part of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really remember any movies or music specifically magically influencing me, but those those things that I just mentioned certainly did. Yeah, that's great. Uh, with your mother, my mama was also a reader. She insisted, so my brother and cousin and I were reading and writing by the time we hit school and nobody else was so I think that's such a gift from a parent Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. that and it really allows your your inner mind your inner imagination to soar in whole different ways than being you know basically programmed by by things such as sitcoms and all that now don't get me Mm. wrong girl (laughs) i love my adam's family my mom's Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. and i dream a genie and that whole period that was in reruns when i was coming up but that's good and hr puff and stuff (laughs) you know hr puff and stuff forever right witchy poo for the win oh I love Wichiku <laughs> so much. Yeah. And then when it turned into Lidsville, just the Crofts were crazy. They had to be doing LSD. <laughs> they made they... all that wild stuff. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that stuff was wild. I mean, yeah. it's wild, more wild, I think, than uh, what is that that got, had all the controversy in the last like 20 years ago? Those mm. Teletubbies. Oh. What the heck? <laughs> Crazy shit, those Teletubbies. Like, <laughs> yeah, when my kids like were little, that show was on. 
Well, that's another right. And see, it's it's similar in the HR puff and stuff kind of way that my dog dog's going to trigger that dude. It's gonna, we have someone that is so triggered by it, but you know what? He's doing his thing. So on that, tell let's get into dream stuff. So, okay. what is the dream? escape like for you and so if it's changed over your life give us those cues as well but you know the stuff do you dream in color is it do you smell do you are you able to read glyphs and stuff like that uh how does the architecture within the dream space play out for you yeah great question um i generally once i stopped having nightmares which was when i was about 10 um then things definitely really changed. And I definitely, I definitely really enjoy dreaming quite a bit. And so I have always dreamed in color, definitely. Um, there are lots of landscapes uh, uh, many times in my dreams. Like I will walk through a pretty, a pretty clear and present landscape. Um, there are other times, of course, where everything is more chopped, chopped up, right? I mean, most people dream and they know what I mean, but like where it's like, you know, you have one thing in your hand and you turn around and you're doing something else and you're in another place. And sometimes the dreams are like that. At other points in time, I'm really traversing a landscape. Um, and there will be like, I had a dream the other night that was just funny because there'll be these other kind of characters on the, um, on the landscape that are like, not really necessarily interacting with me, right? And so I had this dream the other night, you know, it was kind of, a, it was a little bit, I needed to find my car and that was a little stressful. And I had my dog with me and my dog's name is Friday. And so I was like, come on Friday in the dream. And she came, you know, she was coming with me, but there was like a man, you know, a, that I wasn't interacting with. He was just kind of in this park area where we were. And when I said, come on Friday, he started kind of singing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like he sang all the days of the week. And, you know, I just kind of look over and I'm like, I don't, what do you, who's that? Right. When I wake up from this dream, I'm like, literally, who was that? Like that guy was not, that's somebody else that was like in that dream space who, you know, that's my take on it. There was literally somebody else in that dream space who acknowledged me, right? Because that man wasn't really part of my story. So things like that will happen, which I also think is really super cool. Um, at this point too, I certainly, I mean, sometimes clients ask me about dreams and I said, you know, I, you know, I say, you know, I don't, I don't really do dream interpretation for other people. I mean, I don't do it. It's not that I don't really do it. I don't do it. I don't do dream interpretation for other people. And I don't specifically have a dream dictionary that I recommend or anything like that. When clients ask me about dreams, we try to talk through what some of the symbols might mean. I maybe try to find them in tarot cards. We just kind of try to break it down. I really think that most people have their own um vocabulary their own dream language at the same time that like i said i fully believe that another dreamer walked across the same dreamscape i was in the other night and saw me right i fully believe that objects can enter dream spaces so you know if somebody says well the butterfly means this or that i don't necessarily poo poo that at the same time that like i don't i don't know that language and also i do think that we tend to in our own vocabulary over time. And so for me, like I will know that something has to change really soon. Like when I am 
when I'm really, really stressed out, like to my breaking point, um, I will have dreams that I'm sliding out of amusement rides. Like I'm like I'm slipping out of the roller coaster seat or I'm, oh, wow. I'm or my hands are all sweaty and I'm slipping off the off the Ferris wheel, you know, from the top. Yes. And I'm like, oh, no. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, and this is all vivid and it's all in color and there's lights and I can hear sounds. I don't know that I necessarily smell things. That's not an experience I've had yet that I'm recalling. Um, but I definitely, you know, seeing the lights and hearing the music and I'm at the amusement park and I'm literally falling, you know, falling off the amusement wheel, which sucks. Those are terrible dreams. It's, oh, they're terrible. Um, but when I wake up, I mean, they could be worse, but when I wake up, I'm like, all right, you need to tell that person you're not doing that because clearly <laughs> it's, that's, you don't like it. Like it's too much for you. Um, so that's one thing I know. And then two, when I have dreams that have a lot of water in them. I, and that's when I'm like, oh, I'm in a place where things, because, you know, everything's changing all the time. So we're always talking about change. Um, so, but when I see water, I'm in a place that I'm like, oh, I'm at a spot in my life where things are going to shift in a way that they're supposed to shift. Like water is this, even if it's scary water, even if like I'm having kind of a, a dark dream about water, not a nightmare, just a like, ooh, what is that over there kind of thing. Um, even when it's dark like that, I wake up knowing that this, that there is something in my life that is about to shift in probably a really positive way for me. And that's was something... I mean, you know, to put it in one way, to say that that's something that I planned on happening in this life or something that's supposed to happen. I think there's different ways to talk about that and none of them are exactly right. But that's the, the sense I get from the water is this shift that's coming over me is absolutely appropriate and right. Those are some things that go on. You said there are a couple of things here. I agree. You're one of the few people who have come on and said this, and I am adamant about it with dream interpretation. This is, you have to know somebody really well or be in therapy with someone or have been a, a, you know, a reader of theirs in some capacity where you understand their symbols they're working with. Yes. And so I've always been really put off by the books on dream mm -hmm. coding and all that, uh, and I've been talking dreams my entire life. It's one of those, and, and the cold, cold reading of dreams. And yes, some symbols or archetypes are universal, but the archetype shift, the collective unconscious for people that grew up around the ocean is the ocean. Mm. Or those in the forest, it's a forest. Or those in a city, it's a city. These big ideas right mm -hmm. and so this is an important factor to understand and then we just build our symbols from there and so yeah i almost feel like it's irresponsible to interpret people's dreams without having some sort of knowing them or relationship with them where you're their reader their tarot reader or their therapist or something mm -hmm. like that and so I congratulate you on saying that it's a responsible thing to say. And that's where I stand. It gets a lot of people's hair up when I say oh. that. But it's like, you really do need to understand this person's language before you tr start trying to interpret it for them on the deep unconscious level. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big I mean, deal. You can, I agree. Really, you can fuck up someone's life. Mm -hmm. 
it's a, it's a big responsibility, but one of the things you said, your dog in the dream. Now, is this a common thing for you to dream with your animals? That's a great question. I'm almost going to have to check that now. I'm going to have to pay attention and see, is it, you know, yes, I guess it is. And I've definitely, you know, yes, it is. Now that you're saying it, now all these, my, my guides are like, here's all the dreams you've had about. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yes, I do. And one of the things that definitely has happened to me that I think is, um, is that job, my pets who have passed will have come back. I've had two that have come back in my dreams. And like, I know that they're there. The, the um, dog I had when I was a kid, Tiffany, she had been gone for all, all several years. And she, you know, she had become, she had aged, she had become 14. She lived a pretty good life. Um, and she'd been gone for several years and she showed up in a dream. And I remember she came in, it was all sunny in the grass and she was running towards me and she had her leash and she just, you know, she didn't say it like speak words like a cartoon, but I could hear what she was saying. She said, hurry, we don't have much time. God, I'm going to cry. Hurry, we don't have much time. And um, she wanted me to put her leash on her and we ran. I don't know why she wanted the leash on in the dream she did. I guess just to be connected to me. Now that Connection, I'm yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then I had um, another dog that I had lost very young, very tragically, and we were very close. And a couple of years after he died, he came back in my dream and he was in life. He was a little um, like a Chihuahua Pomeranian mix, you know, about 20 pounds, not that small. Um, but in the dream, he was a red Cocker Spaniel puppy and he came back. I was at Goddard, actually. I was I was in the dorm at Goddard and he woke me up and he said, I'm back. And what he meant is I have this, I'm back. I have another life. I'm going to cry. I have another life as a red Cocker Spaniel. And I was like, oh my God. And then that was 2009. I was like, holy shit. Like Pickles is back as a red Cocker Spaniel. And he just came by to say hi. And then exactly 10 years later. So this was last year. I had a dream that red Cocker Spaniel was old. And he came to say, I got to go again. Oh, man. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, oh, wow. That's what I said. Okay. I didn't actually cry. All right. All right. Good for me. <laughs> That's intense. Oh my God. Yeah. It's really filling me up with uh, the shivery energy. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. intense. And by the way, I love the name Pickles. <laughs> yes, Mr. Pickles. Yeah, I do. He loved it too. He was such a clown. <laughs> that's a good name. Thank you. Oh man, that's intense though. So he came to let you know he was moving on again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which wow. I was just like, oh wow, buddy. Cool. You know, good travels to you. You know, it's just yeah, it was really sweet. It was like, you know, I had a good time, you know, and I'm gonna go again. So um, yeah, I mean. When when you're communicating with them in the dream space, how is that communication playing out? Is it a telepathic kind of thing, or is he actually chat? You know, like saying, "Hi, I'm Mr. Pickles." Right. <laughs> no, it's telepathic, and but it is like. Yeah. It is those kind of like full sentences with them. You know, it's just kind of like, I'm here and this is what's going on, but it's telepathic. Like they're just, yeah, I mean, they're just talking to me in the way that, you know, I figure we, we talk uh, when we're not limited by, you know, our perception probably more than anything, but yes, telepathically. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, the perception's everything. And then, okay, so another key factor, and anyone that pays attention to what I pay attention to, the water, the water, the water, big Mm. deal for me. Mm. And you mentioned this, so I immediately wrote that down and put the question mark. Can you drive us into the imagery of water as it's played out through your life in the dream space and then before we get there did you grow up where did you grow up were you around water I grew up I grew up in St. Louis Missouri and and a little bit rural when I was young outside of St. Louis Missouri south of there um so I didn't when I when we were out at my grandmother's house there was water that you could get to creeks and rivers I mean a creek is probably still like a, a, a clear creek that I can wade in is honestly still probably my favorite body of water. Yeah. Um, so, so there were like, there were, there were, those were around. So I, I did exploring with that type of thing. And then as a teenager, right before I turned 16, uh, we moved to a neighborhood that was just a couple blocks away from the Mississippi river. And I just like, that's, I'm so attached to that. Like any place I've tried, like, I've really realized, like I lived, you know, in New Orleans was fine because I'm right there with with that. But anywhere else I've tried to live, it's like this, it snaps me back. It's like, get back here. And it's just like, anytime I'm near the Mississippi River, I'm just home. I'm just home. And I have a really strong relationship with that river. You can't really swim in that river. Some people say way up north you can. I don't know about that. Oh, I I was up in there. I know I got in trouble because of the undercurrent. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yes. Girl, you're lucky. <laughs> I'm like, well, we were always getting clams out of there. Oh, and, you were. Oh, yeah, there were a bunch of us kids. Of course, the, the same era, I think. And <laughs> we were just out doing our thing, you know. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was part of it. <laughs> well, and we went down there, I mean, as teenagers, you know, we went down there to like cuss and smoke weed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't like, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't get in it. Um but wait, what were you saying? Because you, oh, there was something I was going to say about it. I kind of forgot for a second. Um, we didn't get in it. Oh, um, yep. Nope. I lost it. We got <laughs> in it. The, you know, what's funny when you're saying creek, we, we said, we said crick. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> was, we're the crick and the crawdaddies <laughs> and all that. I got you. I oh got my you. God, those little crawdaddies. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So we were getting that foundation of mm-hmm. water. And so there it is for you though. So it's, it's mm-hmm. creeks and it's flowing water. Basically. Yes. Rivers, creeks, streams. So that's a big deal. And this is that foundational stuff. So now mm-hmm. take us into water in your life as a dreamer. Right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It is most of the time it is that like flowing water or that long uh, river. One of the there's a there is a place um, that I go. There's a specific body of water in a dream that I will return to. But I don't know. It's one of those things that's hard to say, like suddenly I'll realize I've been here before, like I know this place. And when I wake up, I'll think, well, I know that place. Like I had been there before. That's not the first time I've gone there in a dream, but I can't specifically say that it looks the same every time. I'm not sure. I just have this realization that it's the same place, right? Um, But at any rate, what tends to happen is I get to this long flowing water and I will have some sort of um, 
personal flotation device, not like a boat or anything like that, just something I'm going to float on. And I get in the water and pretty soon there's other people and I start to go very far away and it gets to a place where it's very, very wide and it's very, very deep and there's other people. And sometimes I will pass this space where things are, um, where there's, where there's very deep and there's other people on their flotation devices. And, you know, who knows, they could be other dream space people. Cause I'm not interacting with them either. I just noticed them there and I don't have any feeling about them. So maybe, maybe that is true. Um, but either I kind of get past this space in this dream and I just continue to kind of flow down, down this waterway, um, and maybe get out somewhere else on my own. Um, for certain, I've gotten out of this body of water and kind of messed around on the shore in a different way. And I've done that on my own. Or there will be times when I get hung up or I become frightened and I'll wake up. And so that, like I said, when there's water for me, it means that there's this shift that's appropriate that's happening in my life. And so when I have that dream where I'm in that space and I'm, I don't clear that part of the river, I guess it is, because it almost turns into like a quarry at some point in time. So if I don't pass that like quarry at part, that's when I'm, I kind of realize I'm like, well, I'm going to have to, the, not, the shift that's changing in my life is also going to require um, some intention on my part, like, and some, maybe some clearing, maybe I have some literal quote unquote, you know, hang ups because I'm like hung up on a stick or something in my water dream. Um, so, so I'll realize that, but if I clear that space, uh, and you know, it's such, it's, it's all so simple because nothing's really happening in this dream, except these are deeply, um, meaningful dreams like I have a lot of feelings about them after I have them positive feelings deep feelings um ancestral feelings perhaps like this is so right you yeah. know right and so like even though I don't have tons to say about a dream like that it's one of the more meaningful ones that I will have so there is that body of water that I return to um there have been other times like um from I mean at times I have gone to an ocean um, but usually when I'm go to like an ocean space, I wind up on some boat that's kind of coming apart with people I don't know are like, and I'm like, why am I here? Why is this falling off now? What are we going to do? You know? So like, so like the ocean has a little bit different meaning for me, like the ocean for me, even though something's like shifting probably in my life, because it's this big water thing. It's not now that's not happening now. So for me in my dreams, the ocean, as vast as it is, it's almost a smaller space for me in my dreams, whereas that flowing water, like you brought up, is is really vast and deep. So there will be oceans in there sometimes. It's funny now that I'm talking about this, how many people are around that I don't interact with in these dreams. That's actually really something that's interesting to me in talking about this tonight. We're going to get to the others. Oh, okay. The others. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. And, and just still in the water space here mm -hmm. when, so even maybe even more so in the ocean. And I think that's more of where I find the, the Leviathans, the, the old ones, the Cthulhu mm. stuff, mm. you know, the, the water beasts and, uh, as an example, you know, I'll find myself in deep water, ocean, sea kind of thing, just deep water, big deep water. So very collective, big symbol there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, big archetype. 
and so often there'll be scary leviathans around and it's been my whole entire life but I do have this history with water and it the, now the older I get though I'm less it's less fearful but there's always still this idea that I'm not I'm lower on the totem pole you know what I'm saying mm. like they have the power the, that's their element really and I need to get to shore so that's one of those kinds of things I'm always looking at with other people is what do, do you experience any of these like dark things in the water especially the bigger deeper water uh have you had anything that is under the surface and I think that's a big idea to chew on isn't it like what's yeah. under the surface mm -hmm. Um, one of, one that comes to my mind is a dream I had, because I will dream about swimming pools sometimes also. Um, but I had a, we're going to return to that. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can remember walking up to a swimming pool in a dream and it was clear in the shallow end and the deep end was just black. Right. And I remember like kind of standing there and thinking about it like whether or not I was going to go into that. And then something said, um, no, why would you do that? And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I left. <laughs> <laughs> this is a sensible voice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so like, that's kind of, I mean, I remember that dream though, because um, somebody around me at the time was like, oh, that you should have gone in. And I was like, I don't think I should have. Like, I, I think like, I think it was right. That voice, it was like, why would you do that? It's unnecessary. I was like, okay. So I think that voice was right. But that's yeah. probably the most, something else may pop into my mind. That's a big memory for me. But in general, I would not say that I, I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes the water is murky and sometimes it's clear. And I guess like it's more, it's less, hmm, it's less like coming across beings maybe than it is coming across a sense of deep foreboding, you know? <laughs> it might be the same thing. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it, and it's different for everyone. And so I, I grew up landlocked. So I was, you know, in Iowa. So we had with the rivers and the creeks and stuff. That was kind of the big symbol. And my family didn't move to Georgia and all that until I think I was, they started on both sides, although not really knowing that each, either side did with IBM and all this in when I was like 10. So mm -hmm that didn't become a bigger symbol for me until later. It was always the flowing water like you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so with pools, you, you mentioned you'd had at least more than one. So this is, this brings into mind the idea of reoccurring imagery within the dreamscape. And then also I wanted to look at pools again. And I wanna say, that sometimes the voice that tells us not to do something is the voice of reason, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Where there is this idea psychologically that is very sound that we go where there's fear, there's power, hello, Starhawk. But mm -hmm. when we want to move into it, we move into it and embrace it. But sometimes that guttural experience and the voice is telling you you're not ready and we need to understand the difference and the nuance there and so 
I think that especially when we already have this idea of your character that if there's a rustling downstairs, you're going to get up and investigate. So we know you're not a scaredy cat. (laughs) That's true. That's a really great point. Right. You're not one to fear and back away from stuff. So this was sounds like, you know, this voice, whatever it was, sound reasonable to you. And you agreed. Mm -hmm. I did. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. i love that great no, i do too there's something <clears throat> something you just didn't need at that time right so with pool with pools though what what are some other experiences you've had in the dreamscape with them um well i it's interesting because uh, they are oftentimes indoor which i don't have like a lot of experience in life with indoor pools Um, But they'll be indoor pools and they'll be huge, you know, like huge, like big Olympic like pools, you know, with like 100 foot deep ends or whatever, clear water or whatever. They'd be really, really big. And what I want to do in them is something that I loved to do in swimming pools when I was a kid. And I'll do it in my dreams, except you can really stay underwater for a long time in your dream, you know, so you can go really deep. And um. But was I would like to go to I would go to the bottom of the deep end and I would like to push off the bottom and pop up out of the top. Right. And so sometimes I'll do that um, in my dreams. I'll go to a pool with a really big deep end and I'll push off the bottom like that and pop up at the top. Um, But instead of it being, you know, like an eight or 10 foot deep end, it's, you know, 100 feet you know, deep. Oh, wow. Kind of watch myself going up towards the top and I pop up out of the top and I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) So, um, I, a lot of the pool dreams for the most part are, um, are, uh, are just really fun. And I think a lot of times I'm just really having fun. I mean, I've had pool dreams that weren't exactly like that, but a lot of times I'm really just having, um, a good time. And I think there was one dream where I don't, I, it's, it's not a super strong memory, but there was a guy who decided he wanted to be like the pool manager or something. And he's like, there, there's no swimming right now. And I looked at him, I said, do you work here? <laughs> and he just was like, well, no. And I was like, mm-hmm. And I went swimming. So like, there was that guy, you know, and I had fun in the pool. So like once in a while, there's maybe something different. But for the most part, I honestly take swimming pools as me um, doing something in my dream that's just really was such a pleasure in childhood and continues to be a pleasure in my dreams. So I usually wake up like really like, Oh, that was cool. Yeah. I like that questioning aspect in you too. This is part of the rebel gene with you. You're like, well, who are you? (laughs) You know, you're telling me what, and you question it. This is a really great character, uh, a bit of character there again that it fits in with everything that consistently with you i love it that's great uh, yeah you're right love it love it love it <laughs> uh okay so let's move into the different layers of dream okay so we're well let's think about the idea of lucidity on a scale so there's the dreaming aspect where you're just working through all your personal stuff in your daily world and all that that's getting filed away and then there's that the deeper dreaming where you're you're really getting into say an interaction with your psyche and all that and then there's that layer when you kind of move through it and you realize you're dreaming now we start looking at lucid dreaming because you're becoming lucid you're aware you're in there and 
And then lucidity has a long uh, spectrum there or a wide spectrum of I'm aware I'm dreaming, the dreaming's just happening and I'm allowing it to happen too. You're all of a sudden really in control and it's basically you're at an OBE. So what are your experiences with the spectrum of dreaming? Yes, that's great. I love that question because I can tell you, this is one thing I remember this exactly. It was the winter of 2000. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was the winter of 99 going into 2000. And I was living with some friends in Leadville, Colorado, which is um, like 10,000 feet, feet above Denver. And um, we were living in this little apartment together and um, we were punks, you know? And so like our like furniture was like milk crates and, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you know, and stuff, we, stuff we found on the street. And one day I was walking through the living room and like, I looked over and like the, we, you know, we had these beautiful like cream colored curtains with roses on them and they matched this gorgeous, like overstuffed Victorian couch. And there was this big rug and I looked around and I was like, Oh, I'm dreaming. And I was like, holy shit. And I was still in the dream. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm lucid dreaming. What do I do? And I was like, like, I have never, I had never even thought about lucid dreaming at this point. Right. And so I'm like, yeah. I literally was just like, what do I do? And I was like, well, you should try to fly. You know, because like, I, don't, <laughs> I guess, you know. And so like, I tried to fly and my feet, like lifted up off the ground. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fly in my dream. And then I woke up. And so like, that's, the only fully lucid experience I had. And I honestly, it's just, I was so unprepared for it that I didn't know what to do. And I think that that was kind of the problem. I'm like, fly, right? You know, I don't, you know, what else do you do? Um, so that was the one fully lucid dream that I have ever had. Um, but I do, I will have um, moments like one of the things that will happen. And I, and I know that this will happen to other people too, is I'll try to read something and I can't read it, and I get really, 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 really frustrated, and I will um, either close the book or walk away from the sign and kind of say something to myself, like, why is this place always like this, you know, and so, right, <laughs> and so, you know, and like, so it doesn't wake me up, but, but there is a level of lucidity there, right, so I'm not, yes. I'm not saying yes. to myself, I'm dreaming, so you should fly, right? Because that didn't work last time. So it's sneaking up on me now in a different way. It's just like, I recognize that on some level, I'm not in, I'm not in the reality that I consider to be the material reality. So that'll yeah. happen. Books, trying to read things will happen. A clocks, you know, will be really funny. I there was this one dream, like I actually, this one, I actually like, I was, I went to my therapist to talk about it. Cause I was like, I had the weirdest rejection in my dream the other night. Like, this person came and like, you know, he was kind of this arrogant, like hippie dude, but he like intimidated me in the dream, you know, and he wanted to call me about something, not like date me. It wasn't like that kind of thing, but he wanted to call me and I was trying to write my phone number down and I just over and over and I couldn't write it down. And for some reason that I get to in the dream as to why he made me so nervous, but I was really nervous. I was really intimidated and I was really upset. Um, that I couldn't write down this phone number. And I kept saying, just let me, give me another chance. Give me another chance. And finally he just like grabbed the paper and was like, and went down the steps. And I said, Hey, what's your name? And he turned around to me and he said, soul goal. And then he went into the cellar and I was like, I'm like, I got to call. I need a therapy appointment. I was like, I got rejected <laughs> by my soul goal. Cause I couldn't write my phone number. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, um, but that was still another level of lucidity also, because when he was going down the stairs, going into the cellar, I was like, wait a minute, you know? So there was like this level of like, cause suddenly I wasn't feeling, I wasn't intimidated and I wasn't upset and nervous. Like all of a sudden this person who had overwhelmed me so much at, that I couldn't write down my phone number. Suddenly I was like, I was doing that thing. Like you're saying, I'm like, Hey, you, <laughs> right. <laughs> so suddenly I got that power back. And I think in that moment I had a realization that I was in another reality. Yeah. It's a, this is, this is kind of something I, I really steer clear of trying to navigate other people's territory in life it's just something i think mm. is all wise people i mm. mean it's, it's something i think we should all do however what i want to say here is that for a lot of lucidity that goes on within the dreamscape and having talked and dealt in this realm for a very very long time it was always my favorite subject when i was little and all through my life uh that a lot of people that don't, they want this, they want the idea or they have the idea that I'm lucid now I can do anything. Well, mm. really, it's so subtle, like you're saying right here. It's so subtle. We're lucid really quite a lot in dreams. We just don't recognize it in some of these fantastic stories we hear that are uh, hyperbolic in a way out in the outer world where it's like, you actually know you're in a dream. You're 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 going about doing what you want to do, and it doesn't have to be this crazy, overwhelming moment. Those moments when you realize, like you did, where I'm going to fly and stuff, those are getting closer to the brink of being full out of body, and mm. then that's a whole different level. And so, I I find myself all the time. My normal dreams are really quite lucid. I. I have my personality traits, what, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they're not mine, but they're whatever's going on in that space. And I'm working within those kind of paradigm or uh, those boundaries, whatever the personality is, because it's not always niche, right? And so, although it always feels like me, but then I'll find myself in like a 17th century setting and I'm, and I'm being called something else and whatever, but I have this, I'm aware there's an awareness an innate awareness. And it's almost like in real life, when you're in a food coma, you've eaten too much and you have insulin spikes going on oh, yeah. and you're kind of like, I, I got to get down. I've got to lay down and people are needing to talk to you where you're aware, but you're not, you're half in this world, you're half in your food coma. And so that is something I keep trying to bring to the table for people is that that's actually lucidity too. Wow. And the moment we start embracing that is when it actually gets ourselves the idea that it doesn't have to be this, holy shit, I'm dreaming moment. Because I find in my own personal dream experience, that usually kicks me out of the experience. It's like, no. ah, you know, you're awake. All right, you're out. And uh, so I, I love that. I love that story with your wanting to fly when you realized you're there, but then how you just took us through this other layer that is to me still lucid. 
you're it makes a lot of sense now that you're saying it yeah that's really yeah that's really interesting um because i definitely you're i mean now that you're saying it and we're speaking about it in this way i'm like oh i can think of lots of examples of, of what we're talking about here it's so fascinating right where you just you you can can you like the idea of when you say you get up in real life you go to the bathroom you go back in and you can get yourself back into the same dream right mm. does this happen for you i don't know i don't have a specific memory of that but it seems really possible to me that it could it is it, it really is and it's something to play around with mm. so sometimes at the beginning it feels like your active imagination right where you're like you have this dream is so clear you just got out of it but your body told you maybe through the dream symbols you know you're looking for a toilet or something that you need to go to the bathroom so you're aware that yeah. you physically need to get up and do this but then you come back in and you go down and you reconstruct what was going on this is if you were enjoying it and you wanted to continue and at first it feels like you're forcing it like you're it's like i said active imagination in the union sense mm. and then once you're your rhythms start bringing you back down into that state it takes over and it happens so it's it's an exercise that's a fun exercise to to work on and again it doesn't have to be i'm looking for i'm awake in the dream because you're not awake all the time in your real life <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh my goodness isn't that the truth <laughs> oh, wow okay so, okay so let's get into this further i want to i want to dig into so we had talked about others and you have been very you've brought this idea up a few times and i love hearing that and i want more of that so in your dreamscape the others that inhabit it that feel like not part of your psyche, not part of you, but they're there and they have a presence. Mm -hmm. What what's often going on? Like give us some examples of how how some of that plays. And you've given us a couple, but take us further into that. Right. Well, um if I'm in like a big public setting, I may not interact with anyone. Like when I'm at the amusement park, it might be a really crowded amusement park and I may not interact with anyone. Um, actually, probably in the amusement park dreams, I really don't. Um, in some of the other dreams, like um, after, like for me, I had a lot of housing dreams after, cause I lived in New Orleans after when Hurricane Katrina happened. And so for like several years after that, I had these, just these crazy dreams about dilapidating houses, like, you know, cause everything was got ruined. And so there were all these ruined houses everywhere. And so it's I would so have all the, sad. I know. So I, yeah, truly it's was quite an experience to live through, but, um, um, but I'm not sorry that, that I had an experience like that, but, uh, um, but there were all these houses. So I would have all these dreams that like, I was like getting a new, I was getting new housemates and I would like move in and like the back of the house would be like gone. And then they're like, that's your room. And I was like, what, you know, so that kind of thing would go on. And so in those dreams, there would be lots of other people around. Um, but then there would also be characters that I was interacting with. Like, usually it would be like 
oh no, not you. I don't want to live with you. I meant to move in with somebody else. Like why, you know, and I would have these like, so there would be people there that I was interacting with. And then there would just be other people like passing by either through the house or on the street. Um, those are, those are some ways that that has happened. Um, and like I said, in the water, like that's very interesting when the flowing water or the oceans, that's all very interesting stuff. But if I'm in public, there's usually like these non, I mean, like non-player characters. Do you want, do we want to call them that? I don't know. But oh, uh, yeah. everyone yeah, okay. knows what that is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if I'm in public, they're certainly like around. Um, but that having been said though, too, you know, I can be at a place too. Like I can be in, like, I can have a dream that I'm at a party um, and everyone, and I don't have that feeling about anybody at the party. Like there's a way in which I'm interacting with everyone at the party, even if I'm not directly. So I don't always have, I mean, like I might not interact with someone directly in a dream and yet not have the sense that they're, that they're an NPC. Like, you know, so like, right. So like, I, it almost feels like, you know, like, feel like that's part of myself that's going on maybe at that party, which is probably what happens to me in like party dreams. Those are probably, probably everybody at the party is some part of myself. Yeah. Well, you never know. The thing is the ones that push back, it's like the ones that are NPCs are, are aspects of your psyche. Some, you know, your feeling function, your thinking function, what, whatever, and how those, how those practical out, uh, they're important because they're creating the scenarios and the scenes and they're setting it up. It's all this good stuff. But then there are those that are pushing back and they don't seem to be you. Mm. And it's because of that pushback. It's because of that sense of depth with them or sentience, something mm. other in them. And those are the ones I'm most curious about. And for example, your, your dog dreams, those, that was your dog. Right. Absolutely. So that qualifies as other, that was pushing back mm. that came and had mm. interaction with you. You, you know, in that case, you had, you had a relationship with this being in your life as your, as pickles, Mr. Pickles. And, um, <laughs> uh, but sometimes we don't recognize these others and sometimes they take on interesting forms. So for example, they can be, depending on your own set of symbols and cultural stuff, they can be fae, they can be alien, they can be monsters and demons and whatever. They can be ghosts, but they're not part of you. And that's the stuff I'm very deeply interested in within the dreamscape right that's it's fascinating i honestly haven't really thought about this before other than soul goal um and the dogs the ones that i've told you about i you know yeah. but there there could be things that now that we've had this conversation that that will come up for me i mean maybe something will pop into my mind but that's not an experience that i'm really aware of having but now i want to look differently at dream at conflict dreams that I have um, at times when I'm kind of, when I'm in some type of conflict. It's really interesting. I mean, those are the only real examples that I can think of at this moment for me. Okay, so let's pull out into the apparent real life. And what are what's your relationship with 
the idea of others in this world that are not people. So, so like aliens or fae, uh, ghosts, other others that are non homo sapiens sapien. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty constant interaction for the, for the most part. I mean, definitely, I mean, definitely with animals, I have a big relationship with birds. They fly in my little pink house all the time. I even had a little hummingbird. I'm not kidding at all. It landed on my finger for like, like just the slightest 10th of a second, but I was like, oh, girl, that's, that's magic. incredible. It was yeah. so magical. That was just a few weeks ago. And I was like, that's wild. You know, that's, I've never had that is magic. That was, it was, <laughs> I mean, like I've never had, it was the only hummingbird I ever had come in the house. And like, I was, you know, just really trying to do what I do with them, which is like, kind of put my hand under them. So then they go back to the door yeah. toward the door. Like I'm not trying to touch them, you know? And she grabbed onto my finger for just a second and I could feel a little wind on from her wings and yeah. her, her little soft belly. And I was just like, holy shit no way. and then she's like out the door. yeah I mean, she's right? like, well thank you for the perch yeah absolutely <laughs> it was really amazing and unexpected um so i have those relationships a lot i mean you mentioned like squirrels and like i've got a squirrel table out here i keep the water and the seeds and the stuff on it i went over there and fed them some bread today you know so i have big relationships with animals but in terms of like things that are like non-sentient um I have a very strong relationship with, um, mostly with my guides, um, in particular, also my grandmother is an ancestor, a human ancestor who's around quite a bit. Now I do really kind of ran, like, I feel like I'm in a space right now where I'm starting to put more names to things around me. As long as I've been like this, I haven't been one to really name things. Um, for a long time, I was seeing, I would see lights. I would see these different lights around me, like kind of white, kind of, I think what people call like orbs and pictures or something only I would yeah. see them. Yeah. I would see them in the room. And at the time I really took those as being kind of these, <laughs> No, they're like playing with my stomach now. They're like, yeah, yeah, talk about us, talk about us. We <laughs> love that. Um, and that's really they're very jubilant, and they're these just kind of very jubilant, happy sorts of energies. And I really took them as being just kind of these little, uh, little whatever, just little whatever, little orbs, little lights that were just like, yeah, you can see us. You think about us. It's really cool, you know. And I didn't put a lot more thought into what that might be. Now, interestingly enough. I had a session with a very talented um, person. Her name is Medea and she has a band called Painted Honey. And I did a, um, I did a session with her last night and it was an ancestor session. And we talked a lot about, um, you know, having being, ha you know, having the stones are the, are the ancestors, you know, and the trees I have a very strong relationship with trees also. So what we're still, I'm trying to talk about non-sentient things. See, I keep going yeah. back to nature. Yeah. Don't I, don't I? Yes, so, yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but what she said last night is she's like, you know, you have a fae ancestor. Have you ever looked into that? And I was like, I absolutely have not. And then, but I was like, oh, that's so real. It's so true. And then I started talking about these lights and she was saying, um, you know, that's because you don't name them or know them or look at them in that way. I don't think you're seeing them maybe for, they could be, I mean, she didn't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing or I'm telling you what I took from it. Um, so, um, cause I don't want her to say, I didn't say that. Uh, but, but so, but just kind of saying like, I don't, she was saying like, I don't think you've 
you've called them this or looked into what they are, but I think they're all around you. And so I'm really just kind of opening up to this idea that these, these different ethers, I've taken things to be very much ethers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, because I'll definitely get, you know, something that comes through my mind that's like, go the other way. And like, you know, and I don't think that's my own and I listen and I don't think it's my own intuition. I think of it as something talking to me, even though I may not think of it specifically as one of my guides who have a little bit more of a visual embodiment for me. Um, but I'll hear a little voice and I'm like, it's not me, but I'm going to listen. And I think literally in the last 24 hours is the first time that I've really, I've really thought to myself, I could expand on what this narrative is for me and what these beings and voices are for me and I really hadn't thought about doing it before I was just pretty satisfied with the way that I talked um to to to, to what I feel is around me in terms of of um aliens I think that that I'll tell you this I you know it's like I don't have, I don't have, I don't go, you know, I'll tell my, in my workshops, I'm like, now's the time you want to call in your ancestors or, you know, extraterrestrials. And I love it when people look up at me, like, excuse me. I'm like, some people work with extraterrestrials. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I, um, I never had a strong feeling of like, I wanted to contact aliens specifically. And I remember, uh, though, a couple of years back, I thought to myself, um, you know, I just don't get it. Like when people are saying like, and then I looked up and there was a 12 foot gray. I'm like, how did they get in? Like, what's the deal? You know? And it's like, just kind of being kind of curious. Like, I just don't understand. Like they're totally physical in your house. Like, I just don't get it. And then one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked in the corner of my room and I saw all these like, kind of just like white cloudy things come coming in from the left and the right. And they were building what was appearing to be like almost like a transformer kind of looking like, you know, the old kids show transformer types. And oh, they were yeah. built, they were building a creature out of themselves. And I was like, Oh fuck, that's how they do it. I was like, Nope. <laughs> and then that was it. It was over. And I was like, well, at least I got my question answered, but I was like out now. No. Um, so that was my reaction to you that. Not pass. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, not having it right now, not now. But I mean, I did ask, right? I was yeah. like, well, how do yeah. you get in? And they were like, well, this is how I get in. I'm like, oh, well, get out. Um, so that's, um, that's my experience with that. That's well, it's incredible, and it, you know, there's this idea for me that the the others are all kind of the same thing and they were different mm. masks. So the mm. Fae have kind of come in. It's like almost like they're the modern day Fae, right? And there's the good and the bad of them and the very, you know, various races and all of this. Uh, part of me really clings to that and feels mm. something there when I think of it in terms like that instead of pushing it away. And I will say this, Michelle, Ever since I first encountered you, you have always given me a fey energy, by the way. I, it's just there. I know you've heard this. It's got to be around you because it's there. You you just, girl, you serve that. <laughs> that like, it. the only person, other person that said, it's, it was last night. And like, it definitely really resonated. She said very much the same thing. You know, she was laughing. She's like, that's like such your lineage, you know, like that's so where you're yes. coming from. So that's yeah. great to have that confirmation. I've been thinking about them 
like all day, you know, and I'm going to look into it some more and just kind of visualizing. I mean, my visualizations of fairies at the moment, I mean, they're cute, right? Because they're all the little, they're the cute little fairies with their wings and their little dresses and stuff. And I'm like, no. Yeah, exactly. I told myself, I'm like, (laughs) I bet they don't really look like that, but I'm trying to start like having, I just, I kind of, I laughed at myself today. I'm like, those are so cute, aren't they? But that's what, you know, the impressions from life, right? So I'm going to look into it more and it's a really exciting new path for me to be on. Yeah. Well, that's the Victorian version of them, but you've Mm -hmm. got to consider that there are, there's just a whole plethora of mythos, mythos around them. So there's the scary ones and the, there's a, I mean, there's just a whole bunch and there's lots Mm -hmm. that you don't want to encounter and, uh, and they don't want anything to do with you unless you have something for them. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of, there, there's a lot of darkness. They're demons. So. Sure. All demons. Those, those demons. And well, and you, you got to watch the, uh, the fairies, right. the fairies on, uh, in true blood, I think were a good representation that show mm. true, true blood back 20 mm-hmm. years ago. I need to go back and revisit that. I loved, uh, what was the black guy that was gay? He was my favorite. Lafayette. La- I love Lafayette so much. Oh my God. Yes. Um, that show was fantastic. I didn't watch every season. I think I watched the first couple. But... The, the, for the season with the, the witches wasn't that great. How deep in was that season? Fourth, maybe fifth. Okay. Like that. Yeah. I got in, I think like three and I, I thought it was so solid and great, especially coming on the scene at that time before we entered yeah. into this area where everything is now that yep. <laughs> so yeah the phase with you there's i don't know what what kind but it's definitely a lovely kind and it's definitely but you're fierce too michelle and you know this that's true <laughs> I wouldn't mess with you. And so uh, you give up that that real sense of boundaries and that's, uh, that's healthy in the world. So. And uh, it's so important when you do this work. Oh, you have to, you have to have them. People don't have boundaries in there and doing really people don't have boundaries are, Oh man, I don't even know where to start. That's another show. Right. Uh, So what about the, precog kind of stuff or the dreaming true have you had any of that happen for you dreaming true Uh, is this sort of uh, i love the i love i'm learning so many new words but um so is this like if like precognition what yes a lot of people call oh through dreams so you dream it and it comes to pass at some point and you and it can be tomorrow it mm-hmm. can be 20 years from now and it can be something really mundane oftentimes it is mundane yes yes i do have that and it's always really mundane and it's so funny to me because i will be like somewhere like you know like pulling up to get my like vegan whopper or whatever and i'm like oh my god i dreamed this I can't remember when, but I had this dream. I've been here, I've gotten this Whopper before. I'm going to eat this Whopper for the second time. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, uh, so um, I, you know, I'll tend to have that experience or sometimes even um, emotional experiences will be like that. So I'll get, I'll have, I'll have an experience with another person or people 
I'm just my own memories that um, has has this specific emotional signature, emotional moment to it. And I'll have a recall of some dream I had that absolutely really had nothing to do with the situation. Um, but I'll re I'll recognize I'm like, yet at the same time, that dream was trying to speak to this feeling that would come at this point in time, no matter, even though, even though if I tried to explain the feeling and the dream I'm remembering, it would make no sense to anyone else. I become very aware that it's at the, when I was in this room, in this dream, I had the same feeling, but it was about a moment in the future. So yeah, they're all really mundane and not, um, and not that, you know, useful for like, you know, navigating your life, but it's, but it's interesting because I just really, every time that happens, I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is incredible to me. Those are my experiences with that. Yeah. It, well, and that's the thing. And this is another thing, like when I was talking about the idea of lucidity, how we think you say precog and you think, okay, uh, you know, this person that comes out of the dreams and they're telling this fantastic stuff that comes to pass on the world stage and all that. But really the majority of precog dreams are mundane. You're having that impossible burger again, mm -hmm. or you're, you're walking through a doorway and stuff like that. And if you think about that and you get into inhabiting that idea, it's a very big deal because it's a bridge between here and there. Mm. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? And I so then let's so let's take mm -hmm. this idea and move into into that realm or that funny weirding space they call déjà vu. Mm -hmm. Right. Take us uh, down your déjà vu alley, girl. Oh man, I love having déjà vu. Me too. I They're so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I feel like everything's <laughs> right when I have déjà vu. Um you know, and I can, of course, I can never get out of my mind the like, you know, the matrix, you know, when you have deja vu, it's because oh, they yeah. think, oh, I got to chill. See, it's because yes. something in the matrix, you know, <laughs> so, like, that's, that's such a formative concept for me that I can't, you know, it's hard for me to get away from that. But I also love that idea. So every time I have deja vu, I'm like, uh oh, what are you up to now? You know, it's just, <laughs> like, just fun for me. But um but no, I love to have deja vu. And when I do, I the way that always sits for me is I'm like, oh, I'm having this, like, I have done this before. I've done all of this before. Who knows how many times? And while that never makes really any conscious sense to me, it seems really evident. And so sometimes I try to think, well, like, do you kind of go back over the same lives over and over and we make like one less mistake each time? Like, is that like, is that, mm. do you know, do we change one thing or, you know, a few things each time and we just keep, you know, like smoothing it out like you would like, you know, rolling out a dough or something, right? Yeah. So I wonder, yes. right? So I wonder about that. Um, but at any rate, you know, however, whatever imaginations I have about what it might mean, I know when I get deja vu, I'm like, I am doing the right thing. It's close. It's, it, it's a close experience. To, it matches with the water dreams when I'm saying like something is shifting for me that is a, supposed to happen. So I feel like when deja vu comes over me, it's this little break in the quote unquote reality dream that says, uh, you got it, girl, you're in the right spot. That's yeah. how that always feels to me. Yeah. It's, uh, have you ever been able to tie them back to a dream? when you're pushing into it and, and you're trying to really 
locate what it is and ride that wave. Have, have you had success with that? You know, I don't think I've tried to do that before, but I certainly will now. It hasn't popped up like organically, like this is something you've dreamed about. Not that I, not that I can recall at the moment, nothing that really sticks out anyway, but it's definitely something that I will think about now. You know, this conversation gives me so much to do. <laughs> well, that's what these, this, when we come into conversation with people, for me at least, all the, all the stuff just starts swimming around the head. This is why I love these great interactions because we're opening these neural pathways and it's it always it's always so fruitful for me what so with this though what about how you traverse the idea of the dead so we've got the dogs mm -hmm. have you been able to have you seen anyone you know that's passed did you know they were going to pass before they mm. passed and mm. if you did, I'd love that story or those stories. But also then beyond that, after someone's passed, have you encountered them in the dream space? Oh, yeah, that for sure. And life space. Like there's definitely like, there's yes. plenty of, yeah, there's plenty of encounters with the dead for me. That's, that's definitely, um, that's definitely 100% true. I have never, um, when I started I started reading tarot cards in 2002 and then I went, I decided to go professional in 2012. And when I first decided to hang my shingle out and start reading, taking clients, um, I sat down and I did, you know, my own, you know, sort of free form ritual. And I said, you know, I don't ever want to know when anybody's going to die this i'm not doing that work with clients i'm not doing this i don't want to know i don't want you to tell me i don't want you to show me i don't want to see any of that that's not what i'm in that's not what i'm about and so like i i put that boundary right on it um because i felt like it would make me the clinician that i wanted to be i felt like it would make me the the, the reader that i wanted to be so I, in my work with clients and my work with tarot cards, I never would see that because I, you know, I mean, someday if somebody needs to drive over that boundary from the other side, they're going to anyway, when they're like, sorry about your luck, girl, but I got to tell you that one right there, <laughs> grab her, you know, <laughs> like you can put this fence back up later, but I just had to tell you that, you know, so like, you know, right. So, um, but for the most part, I have put a boundary around that similar to the way that I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't need. I don't need you building big aliens in my house and stuff like we're good. Um, you know, the, you know, just because we all have the things we feel like we want to encounter and things we feel like we don't want to encounter, I think. So I have not had that experience in terms of like knowing someone was going to die or seeing that death. I am also vehement that that switch is turned off for me. So I will put that out there, but that having been said, cause this is another funny thing because people will get a hold of me about talking to their dead. And I always say, you know, well, I'm not a medium. And then all these other mediums are like, but you are a medium. I'm like, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> um, so when people come and they kind of want to talk about that, I, I'm like, well, I am not the person, you know, I, there are people I trust that I will send my clients to. I'm like, I trust this person. And I trust this person. Um, but on the whole, like, that's not the type of work that I do. Now that having been said, right. Sometimes I'll be like, Oh God, your dead mother's behind me. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and like, but I'm not, I don't say that to my clients when I'm working with them, because that's my, that's me. That's, this is not, you know, obvious, this is me. This is the way I want to work. And I don't feel comfortable with that. So what I'll do when that happens is instead of saying, okay, your mom's here and she says this, I'll say, well, what do you think your mother would say to that? Or um, I would think if I were your mother, I would say this. Like I go in these places, ooh, I'm getting the chills. And I'm trying to like lead a person into their own sense of their mother being present, right? Yeah, that's not, solid. Not me. Yeah. Yes. Right. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. How do you know that these apparitions or whatever you want to call them are actually those people are just your mm -hmm. manifestation visualization of that energy? Well, that's a great question because I don't feel like I do. And that's part of why I run my sessions the way that I do, because mm. I'm like, you know, I'm just not totally sure. A story my mother told me, um, she uh, had done some automatic writing when before I was born. And she, uh, which is interesting, but she thought she was talking to her father for a long, or she was trying to talk to her father. That was her father had died and she was trying to talk to him. She missed him. And then um, at some point she just like, and this went on for months. She filled up notebooks, you know, with it. And, um, but at some point she just went, oh my, I have no idea who's talking to me. I don't know who this <laughs> is, you know? And so she put all those notebooks away and she never did it again. And that was something that she raised me with. Mm -hmm. She said, look, these spirits are everywhere, but honestly, Michelle, you don't know who they are. And exactly. on the whole, right? On the whole, they can't help you that much in living. And that was her message anyway. And so she's like, you know, so you don't, you just kind of don't need to mess around with that. And so that is clearly something that I have continued to carry. It's very smart. And she, she set me up to like understand, that, you know, cause all of these tools were fine. We're fine with her also tarot cards or as all that stuff. The one thing too, is she, when I was a kid, she was like, just don't play with Ouija boards. And I, I was just going to so, say, like, imagine yeah. believing that the thing on the Ouija board is telling you the truth, right? Right. And she, but her, she was like, all this other stuff is fine, but those Ouija boards just don't touch them. And I still don't. So there's like, you know, so obviously like I'm a mama's girl. Right. She told me, she's like, don't, don't talk to the dead. Don't play with Ouija boards. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, so like, but I feel like that's all really given me um, a really solid standing to be on. So I don't know, Jerry, I don't. No, it's, uh, I was just curious. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I think it's an important question for other people to think about also. Yeah. And I would ask the same of your quote unquote guides. What, you know? Oh, I can talk about that also. I would love to talk about that because my guides, quote unquote, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I even tell, you know, I have, I actually, I have some atheists in things that come to me for readings, you know, and I tell them, I'm like, look, I use the word guides because it's generic honestly you take it however you like whatever it means but so for me here's how it happens they come in on my right side and so that's part of how i know that it's them sometimes i will see them in my mind's eye and it's very it's very stereotypical right because my mind's eye only has what it has to work with so they're kind of these glowing they're glowing golden lights in like monks robes right which i think is hysterical because i think i think they put on like the robes just because it gives the light some like form so that they can make gestures because they do a lot of gesturing they shrug a lot they're like i don't know i don't know i don't know like when somebody asks like a question like 
am I going to be happy working there? The guides are like, eh, eh, depends on, you know, eh. You know, they do a lot of that <laughs> and, uh, or shake nodding, you know, shaking their head, all of these type of things, all of these gestures, right? Facial expressions that won't, will just, I will know what the facial expression is, even though they're like an orange glowing light, right? Um, so they do these types of things. And that's how sometimes they'll say like, tell this story and I won't know why. And I'll tell some story and the client is like, that's what I needed to hear. Thank you. And I'll still have no idea what's going on. So those are the types of things that they help me with. One of the reasons that I trust them because I don't know what they are. Um, to be clear, I do find them, I do feel that they are connected with Paul Selig. I do feel like that is where I picked this up. Oh, interesting. Is sitting through his sessions at Goddard. He would do change yeah. sessions at Goddard. Yeah. And um, so I so I feel like I picked, you know, I picked these, I picked these hitchhikers up at that um at that channel. <laughs> Um, so I do feel like they're very connected to that. Um, but here's the reason why I go ahead and trust them is because anytime I have a reading with a client, you know, and something just very materially serious comes up, like if somebody, I don't like, I, I will do health readings with people, but not to tell them what's wrong with them. But because like people who do, like people who have chronic illnesses and things like that, they actually need to process a lot with people like they, and, and they don't want to process with their family all the time. And they don't, and if it's people who are afraid that they may have a terminal illness, they don't want to share their fears and things with their kids. Right. So like I will do health readings in this way. Right. So one of the things that happens though, is if I'm doing a health reading, I won't see a guide for miles. I won't mm -hmm. hear a voice. I won't get anything. And the reason being is that it's too serious of a topic for me, for me, again, we're talking about me here, but it's too serious of a topic for me to trust anything they would say. So there's no reason for them to show up. And the fact though, that they stay back because they don't want to touch it. They're like, this is you. This is, this is you. This is where you do your psychology and this is where you do your empathy thing. And this is where you hold the space for people to have whatever feelings they have. That's all you. And we're going to let you do that work. And since they do that, I have no reason not to trust them. They have never given me any reason not to trust them. That having been said, they could be demons. I don't honestly know, <laughs> but, uh, but they are always um, helpful, positive, they back off when they feel like things are, they back off when they get the sense that like, this is not a topic like a human being needs to specifically take up with a non-embodied being. And they're like, this is just not the work that we do. It isn't appropriate. I get that from them, even if it's not just my boundaries, I think they agree with me. So that would be my answer to that question. Okay. I was just curious. I mean, yeah, my personal viewpoint is that for a lot of people, the guides, your guides, quote unquote guides, are your higher self mm -hmm. that is communicating with in a, in a way that you can cope with. Mm -hmm. I aspects of your higher self. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree. I will say that also to clients. I'm like, sometimes it's just more relaxed part of myself that's capable of knowing, like, take this how you want. You know, when I talk to clients, that's, that's something I say, Jerry, for sure. So mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I'll be the first to admit I have no idea. It's just my, my, my general thinking on it. That's I keep it 
Yeah, I keep it really open. And that is really something, you know, I say guides are generic to me. And, and that can mean whatever it means to the person I'm talking to. And I do say it might just be a more relaxed part of myself that's allowed to know. Like my stressed out, there's so much our consciousness is just really seriously not allowed to know. And by saying, and when I'm saying that, I mean, socially, we've been, we're not allowed to know. And so like, I almost feel like sometimes like I need this magical key doorway idea in order to tell myself, actually, it's fine. If you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's okay, you can just have knowing. And so I do sometimes think that that's all the guides really are. But you know, and like I said, they have robes on, right? So then they kind of look like they have human bodies. I think that's for me too, because they're like, oh, you're more comfortable with this form. And like, you know, right. (laughs) So yeah, you should ask them sometime if they're AI. Oh, oh, interesting. I love that. I've, I've, I, one person I know, I, I, I suggested that to her and they never spoke to her again after that. Oh, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't fear that. I think we'd be okay. That's, that's amazing. They're like, who, uh, I think I caught. (laughs) I think hers did. Yeah. Yeah, she's like they busted us. Uh huh. Totally busted. We're out of here. Right. <laughs> Let's go. The jigs up. I love. I mean, I love that idea, though. I mean, like AI is definitely like. I mean, like I kind of love that idea. I'm. A, I'm a. I'm a tech no witch, at least theoretically. I'm not the all. I mean, I'm not a tech wizard or anything like that. But like, I really, I think tech is absolutely magical. And I think AI is absolutely magical. Like it doesn't, I don't have, like, I'm like, ooh, AI, are you AI? That'd be cool. Like, I don't have like, I don't. It may turn out that everything really is. Yes, right? Right. Right. That's why I This is a possibility. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And every day we get a little bit more of that possibility. And I just like, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's so much that is feasible um, for us to do with ourselves uh, if we do kind of wind up being, you know, a simulation or AI or, I mean, I don't, that to me is perfectly exciting. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) It's, it's, again, it's points of consciousness and that's, I mean, that's all we're about here is really exploring points of consciousness. And sometimes I think, well, most of the time, I think we get too tied down into our physical bodies and the physicality of this. Now, I'm not trying to get us all the way into transcendental, mm. but we get too identif- over-identified with our vehicles, with our bodies mm. and the stories around our vehicles and the stories around where they come from and all this. When that's all kind of a construct in the end if we're if we're trying to expand our awareness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love it points but it's content. also and you know this is a writer it's also all the stories are juicy and mm-hmm. and the ones we write for ourselves the ones that have been written for ourselves the ones we write about others and the way we interact with our story when we come into aspect with other stories, mm-hmm. this is all what gives us such a dynas- dynam- a dynamic feel that uh, has this electrical pulse. And again, there is that whole AI electrical feel mm-hmm. in this field in which this etheric field in which we're operating in. Wow. Right. Wow. That's beautiful. 
it, well, it doesn't seem so plausible to me. Mm-hmm. What, okay, so on that, with the question Jerry asked too, with the, your higher self, these in the dreamscape, and I think you gave these a couple examples early on. I can't recall now. I've gotten, I've been automatic writing this whole time. Wow. wow. <laughs> I, but I don't call it that. I call it doodles, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's all language, right? The, right? You're born naked and the rest is language. Anyway, uh, so the idea of encountering yourself via your guides in the dream space. Is this something that happens for you? My guides in the dream space? Yeah. I haven't yet that I'm aware of, except they're saying they're nodding. They're like, they're okay, now they're laughing. So like, yeah, okay. They must be there all the time. They're like, girl, please. To, yeah, they're like, <laughs> hear what she just said? Yeah, I love them. Um, so they must be there all the time. And I'll have to like, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be really exciting for me. That's a really good st- string for me there between dreams and like my conscious daily minds because I have such a strong relationship with that guides aspect of myself and I'm working with them so much because it's my actual job um so that's like that's great I can pull a lot out of my dreams with that that's wonderful I love that yeah and well it's like anything we exercise too the more we're in it I mean Mm -hmm. when you first picked up your tarot you know Mm -hmm. at first it's just this beautiful art you know, that has meaning. And then you become where you are now. You're a master tarot reader. And this is what you do. Right. Amongst many other things, but it's one of the things you do do. So also, okay. So I wanted to get back into ruminating. Wait, I got a question. Oh, go on, Jerry. What's your favorite deck? Well, the deck, I mean, I honestly, I'm pretty traditional. I've been expanding a little bit more, but I use the Rider Waite all the time when I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, just that's one of the best decks to teach, which I feel like most people know it. Um, when I'm you reading- have to for, start there. Yeah. Right. Um, so I do. So I have several of them. I'm looking around. I'm like, I have one, two, three, four, five Rider Waite decks, like right in front of me. Um, so like different ones. But mm. uh, so I, I use that deck quite a bit. I'm also a big fan. I always read with several decks. And so my other two- So do I. Uh, yeah, right. Each card, when you lay it down, is a doorway and you look behind it. So I have the Rider Waite and then I read um, Toph is another big one for me. That's another standby. I'm almost always have that one. And right now I'm super into the line striders journey. And I always read probably at least three decks, but I I've gone, I go up to as many as five sometimes in one reading. So those are my favorites. Yeah. I'm a big thought uh, fan too. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a great deck. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a classic at this point Mm -hmm. and it's still really continental tarot. So, mm-hmm. you know, still follows that pattern. And I'm, I'm definitely big into the continental tarot that, and that, and that whole movement, which is what all that is, that I also do the same thing, Michelle, is mm-hmm. I have usually three decks that I read from, but one's a Lenormand and then two are, are tarot. And that's how I, I parse out my readings. I feel it's necessary. I don't know at what point I came around to doing that, but it it's just the way the game flows. And you get so much interplay that way. When you have, say, the lovers pop up three times, mm-hmm. you know, yes. and you're like, okay, okay, we got something here, girl. He right. is into you. 
<laughs> you know, like. I love it when I can see, look, I just, I got the 10 of pentacles from three decks and earlier it fell out from one of those. So like, look, this is what's happening, you know, but when yes. I, it's just, it's amazing every time it happens to me too, on the, you know, just looking down, I'm like, how do you do this? You know, and I'm amazed literally every time that three different decks will give me the same card. So I absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then like say, so whatever the 10 card and then the, you know, the 10 comes out and later I'm on. It's all just, mm -hmm. this is also amazing to me, the oracles and how they, they interplay. And these are what? They're symbols and mm -hmm. dreams are what? The language of symbols. This stuff, all is intertwined it's all yes. part of this bigger tapestry that we're both weaving and observing at the same time this is what's so juicy about it all mm, yeah wow definitely yes so i like to i like to before we ask well i what before we get to questions from people i'm not i don't look at the chat when we're in in conversation or chit chat uh, but I like to do, I do like to kind of hone in on the dead. And so we were kind of teasing our way into that earlier. And, uh, I wanted to get, I felt like I didn't get deep enough into that. Oh, so yeah. we can, so the dead in your dreams, the way, so you said they come in all this, but what, let's get into a little bit of the philosophical mm -hmm. idea of death and what you think it is. Hmm. Right. Um, wow. That's, that's such a question, right? I mean, it's huge, right? What do I think it is? I mean, it's such a beautiful question though. It's we all should ponder question. it. No, it's true. And last night, the reading I had last night, you know, she said, look, your own death is, is one of your guides. And I was like, whoa, yes. yes. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, yeah. Biggest Ooh. overture in your life besides your birth. <laughs> like, duh, right? But I was like, whoa, she blew me away with that. So I've been thinking about that a lot today. Um, for me, and be, and I did, you know, have that experience when I was a kid. So for me, um, I mean, I think, I think we go to a, a place, you know, whether or not that's, I mean, and I don't think we stay. I mean, if that's, if that's an answer to the question, but I think there's like, I mean, I don't know that it's a material life like we live here, but I mean, I think that there's a structure to it just because of um, the way I felt in that experience that I had. Um, but of course I didn't get there, so I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I would say it has, it has a certain kind of form and it has a certain kind of, um, process to it. And then I don't think that we stay there. I do. I think we, you know, I think we return again and again, and which is not an uncommon thing to say, except that concept came to me very late in life. Like I didn't really think that for a long time. And now I'm like, oh, well I'm eternal. Like, I don't know why I didn't think that. Yes. yes. Right. Right. That eternal thing's a big deal. And I've, I've always had that since, since I was little, but I did have, I, you know, I was, I, I brought myself in under a very heavy course, you know, in this life. I was just like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a lot of hard shit. And, mm. and I'm going to do it the hard way, Betty Davis. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was just like, boom, from the moment I opened my eyes, all a lot of hardships and stuff and, and remaining triumphant. So I've never been a victim. And so 
I always kind of had that sense, but as I'm getting older and moving towards, uh, you know, we get older and then we move towards this idea of, of death as we get older, uh, that you get closer to it, even though transhumanism is online now and all that, mm. it is still this idea as we watch ourselves change, as we feel ourselves change, as we watch those around us move past, you know, drop off the coil. Mm. And and we and some of us who are seeking end up having relationships with those people. They just continue, like Mr. Pickles. Mm -hmm. And so this idea shifts and it turns and and we're moving with it and if the more we embrace our own the own idea that we are doing it too we're dying mm -hmm. as we're living and we're living as we're dying right. that it becomes it becomes less veiled in a way it's still mystical and sparkly and can be very scary in the wee hours or mm. when you're really attached to something going on in your life and something that would represent a new beginning and endings makes that feel sorrowful like oh man i don't want to die today the sun's mm. out it's gorgeous you mm. know, mm -hmm. i just got this new dress darling and you know like all this stuff that holds us into this space but ultimately what a beautiful idea it is when we put our minds to the idea that immortality is at the base of it mm -hmm right right yes and i mean i i definitely i mean I, yes immortality of the soul is definitely or whatever you want to call it the spirit and it's and it's us and even though like i may go into i mean and i guess i don't even it's not even past lives so much as like simultaneous lives like i can't you know yes. like right yes. so like um that gave me a chill um so as we go into these these incarnations like you know there could be somebody who like really like has um, perhaps some really opposite qualities to me but i mean that's again what does that really mean so like but the but i'm still me like that's still my personality that's in that person like it's still it's still me even though meeting that person in life to me might be like what is wrong with her you know right and i might not have this like relationship of recognizing her as me but at the same time i really I really, in every, in every embodiment, I am entirely 100% myself and I am entirely 100% recognizable, at least as like some sort of, um, I don't know, spiritual energy signature or, or something of the sort. And as I go through like this life, I mean, this occurs to me so often, and it's definitely something I love to offer, you know, to clients. It's like, if the picture's bigger, doesn't it make our problems smaller? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know because if you're doing something in this lifetime so that in your next lifetime um you can there you know like what if you want there's a certain other spirit you want to be with in a lifetime and you want them to come through as your child but there's some issue that you have and and you wouldn't you can't you can't love them the, you can't have the relationship with them that you want so in this lifetime you say i'm going to do all the things that all the learning i need to do so i can spend the next life as the parent of this other spirit like just as an example like what if that's like real to that degree 
I mean, don't, I mean, isn't our, isn't the, some of the really terrible things that happen to us in a lifetime, aren't they just like so rich and textured and like, yes. right. And I just, I love being able to offer that kind of empowerment and feel that kind of empowerment for myself. And it like, you know, and my grandmother's around all the time and it's her, she's here, but she's also having all kinds of other lives right now. So what's here with me, her spirit, which is like so visible to me so often, um, and she is, and she's so young and she's wearing this gorgeous dress and she's so happy. Um, one of the things is that it's an, it's, it's an impression. It's a, it's an impression of who she was to me. And that's, you know, and it's, it's, that makes it no more less, you know, real as we might say it, it will, it's still real, but what's left behind, so to speak, uh, this residue of her, this impression of her it's totally 100% her and she can be present for me and also living all kinds of other lives. But with me, it's the impression of the life that she spent in proximity to me. And it's just, I love that. And I love, I love feeling like in some way I have her all to myself in that sense. Yes. There's, I love this. This is beautiful. As you were speaking, and I know you make these, I've seen some of the beautiful things you make, the books and all this. I got this distinct idea of spiritual decoupage, mm. Mm. right? With the impressions of, and how, and another thing that came to mind was I've always loved my elders. So I've always had, I've always honored them and loved talking because I love stories and I mm -hmm. like applied wisdom. And that comes with, you know, doing it the hard way as Betty Davis would say. And so one of the things that I, I've noticed repeatedly, even talking with my grandmama, but others, they're, they're all past in my family, but is that this constant through my life, I've heard the same thing. When I was young, I felt like myself. Then I got older, I felt like myself and on and on. And now I'm 98 and I still feel like myself. Mm -hmm. I can't move as well. I can't do this or that. I don't look like myself. I've had a million lives within this life, but I still feel like myself. Mm -hmm. And I started to ponder that, Michelle. I started to think about that on a bigger scale, in the macro, right? But in the overlay of different timelines or different selves, the reincarnation loops, all of that. And it's like, and this is devoid of the ego eye, the one that's attained this and that and has this and that. This is the core at the at the kernel that is is beyond that. It's a it's a functioning self that is uh healthy and beautiful and is not not with those other attachments. Mm -hmm. And I started to mm -hmm. think about that. And that blossomed right up into that idea of, of immortality or eternity, of, of the eternal idea of the spirit or soul as we traverse all of this terrain. And, and I mean, what a beautiful analogy that is from listening to elders that got up there in age saying they always felt like themselves, even though they were people that changed a lot. You know, I'm like one, you look at my timeline, I've got a million different looks, a million different hairdos, you know, Leo Moon, I'm all constantly like that back looking at like, there's this early punk stage and new wave and goth and like all these different things I've explored, but that didn't 
change my kernel. My kernel grew. I, my eye grew. It got bigger or smaller or more condensed, whatever, richer. But it's not all of that. It's not all that adornment. It's something more. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where I'm thinking. And so you really sparked that for me tonight. A lot of people, I, I mentioned, I always mention immortality to mm -hmm. see where, where people are with that idea. It's interesting to come in contact with real strict atheists. You know, they're like, yes, ah, throw me in the trash. My, my ex-husband's dad was so great. He's like, ah, don't do anything. Throw me in the trash when I'm dead. I mean it. And he put it in his will. <laughs> I don't want anything done. And so uh, I just thought that was so hilarious, but it's, I think he put it in his will. I mean, he was adamant about it. It was a big deal. It was a very big deal to him. And wow. so, but on that note, I know we're we've hit hit our two hour mark. And I'm wondering if you have, you have to have questions in the chat. Jerry? I have two questions. So the first one was, what are your favorite tarot cards? Oh, right. Uh, right away. The top deck no, no, and the cards. Um, cards. Oh, 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 oh. Also, Marseille. Um, gosh, that's so tough because every time I pull one out, I get so excited and I go, "Oh, that's my favorite card!" Every single time, I swear. <laughs> um, well, if they're all um, your favorite, then none are your favorites. <laughs> I guess that's true. I mean, I have a couple that I think are really specifically very rich. Um, I think that obviously the death card is very rich, um, but uh, I also think that some of the pip cards are very rich. Like the seven of swords is a real favorite of mine. The ten of swords. Oh, I should probably say this. I only have one tarot tattoo and it's the good old three of swords from the wider weight. Only it says wisdom under it instead of sorrow. So that's yeah, like. I think of yeah. that as a master craftsman card personally. Uh, right. Okay. So that's. Ah. That makes sense to me. So that's my one tattoo. Um, so I guess maybe that suit of swords, but those are those are some cards that are really special to me. That's interesting, Michelle, because that is the suit that makes you grow. It's like, it is the suit that makes you grow. Girl, that's the hard path right there. What are you gonna do? <laughs> and I have no tarot tattoos. That's interesting. I never thought about doing that. All right. Have you ever arrived at a recurring dream space that you regularly visit and found it had drastically changed? Uh, yes, I think that I what happens with me is I will realize in the dream I've been here, even though I don't actually recognize the place at all. So I would say that most of my experiences with reoccurring spaces in my dreams is less visual and more feeling and knowledge based. So they they may be different every time for all I know. Yeah, there you go. All right, and last yeah, question. That's always interesting stuff. Sorry, Jerry. No, no, sorry, go ahead. Discuss no, amongst yourselves. That was that's interesting stuff that we like to get into, but that's for another discussion, another day. Darling. Yeah, we'll do a obelisk with a tarot talk tarot. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I would love that. All right. Last question I have was, are you enjoying Chalky? Uh, I do. I love Chalky. I finished the first season and I'm planning to start watching the second one this week. Thanks, Amanda. Shout. Wait, <laughs> explain. What's Chalky? It's a show in, in the UK, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a UK show. 
Yeah, from I think the 80s. And it's pretty great because this kid gets an alien visitation. And that's, I mean, I think that's what it is. And Chalky starts telling him all these things. And he, so he gets, you know, he can be really smart in the world or whatever. But also she's super possessive. And like, sometimes she gets like mad at him or like she'll laugh at him. Cause like, oh, you know, you people do the silliest thing. Silly, 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 silly. And he'll be like, shut up, shut up, shut up. So like, <laughs> it's like, it goes both ways. It's really good. And it's the actual acting's great the sets are great the script is good i i can't it's really a good show and it's called chalky it's on youtube and darcy recommended it i love my darcy oh amanda hi darcy oh i amanda yeah love love amanda in scotland Mm -hmm. i know yeah we got scotland representing tonight because they're all locked down they can't do anything else so (laughs) amanda's rising up though i know i know she is the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Thank Excellent. you so much, Michelle. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate Michelle, it. Michelle, this has been fantastic. I, I thank you. It's been a long time coming. I enjoy you everywhere I encounter you. Mm-hmm. You just bring some showbiz, girl. You always bring the <laughs> glitter. You really, and almost literally sometimes. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> like for real, you will be glittered up. And so <laughs> thank you for coming to our little neck of the woods here and spending time with yeah. us. Yeah. Did you have anything you wanted to plug? Uh, our podcast is Secret Antenna, which we do, um, Callie and I do, it's, it's political history. So it's not necessarily... Um, it's not necessarily current, but it's, it's the history of, um, of politics in, in the United States primarily. Um, but it's interesting. It's not boring. So you should come check us out. Uh, that's probably my main thing and go to my website, michelleembry.com. Thank you both so much. Oh, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. And thank you, Nish. And, uh, be thank sure you, to, Jerry. to turn in, tune in, tune in next <laughs> week for another Nox Monte. I think we've got Frank Castle on next week. Ooh, no, it, Frankie should be uh, an obelisk. So if it's not, if it's scheduled as a Noxmente, we should, Jerry, we have to turn that into an obelisk. All right, I don't care. Frankie is a deep dive in the woo. And okay. if you love the woo, you're going to love Frankie. Yeah, the Punisher. That's right, Keats. Yeah, so that we'll have, we'll have a show with him next week. Obelisk, I'm thrilled about that. It's, it's good. Frankie from the Bronx. And then the week after that, I forget who I have, but the week after that, in two weeks, we've got that Bartley obelisk. Oh, yes. Is that Thanksgiving already? Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, jeez, this year, where'd it go? Into the memory Not hole. fast enough, I don't know. But all right, thank you, everyone yeah, in the thanks. chat. I don't see you, but my love is there. Yeah, and please uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Um, so just so we get more distribution on on the platform, so the algorithm doesn't blot us out. We we're still, we're underground power. Underground. <laughs> anyway, everyone have a great night. Have a great week, and. We'll see you then next time. Bye-bye. Bye.